All right, if you've got a Bible, you know the routine. Grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline, or use the Central Church app. Ruth chapter 1, that's where we're going to be at today. That's where we were at last week. Um, this is week number 2 of our series called From Ruin to Redemption. And before I summarize what we talked about last week, let me kind of set today's message up like this, tell you where I'm going. Um, many of you know that my daughter Chloe um, plays softball, college softball, at Northwestern College in Orange City. Now, Softball is cool. I love softball. I love everything to do with softball, from little kids all the way up to they try to have a professional league. It's really not huge, but but I I, I love it. I love everything um, about softball. If you know anything about me, you know this. You know I love softball. What you may not know, I haven't always loved it. As a matter of fact, I thought it was dumb. Like there was a time in my life. I'm just going to be honest with you. There's a time in my life I thought. All girl sports was dumb. And, and if you, like, don't have a little, like, anyway, that's probably another message for another time. Um, when Chloe was little, her and my son Jaira were soccer players. I loved soccer. Loved it. Like, um, I grew up playing soccer. I was going to go to college um, on a soccer scholarship. I loved everything about soccer, and I loved coaching it. And my, my kids were, they, they were as good as little kids could be at soccer. And so Chloe came home one day, and she said she didn't want to sign up for soccer. She wanted to play softball. And we were kind of like, all right, man, maybe we need a little bit of a break. Um, and so softball is okay. So we signed her up. For softball, she was terrible. She was, I had that kid. You know what I'm talking about? That kid, you, I didn't know she was going to be here this weekend. And so <laughs> I looked over at her during worship. I said, oh crap, I'm telling a story about you this morning. <laughs> you put her glove on her head in the outfield and spun around and chased butterflies. That was my kid. Writing her name in the sand in the infield. Didn't know how to hit. Didn't know how to throw. It was, it was embarrassingly bad. It was the longest season of my life. I never celebrated anything more than when that season was over. I was like, oh, thank you, God. We go back to playing soccer. You're good at soccer. You excel at soccer. You're awesome at soccer. And so it came time to sign up the next season. I can't remember if it was the spring or the fall, but it came time to sign up the next time for soccer. And I'm like, Chloe, it's sign-up day for soccer. And she looked at me and she said, I want to play softball. I said, you're a soccer player. She said, I want to play softball. And I, honest to God, honest to God, I said this. Honest to God, I looked at my beautiful, brown-eyed baby girl, and I said, baby, you're terrible. That's what I told her, didn't I? I said, you're awful. You are a soccer player. And she said, I want to play softball. And I said, you're going to play soccer. And she said, I want to play softball. And I said, you're going to play soccer. And she said, I want to play softball. And Mary intervened. And we signed her up for softball. And many of you have heard me tell this story before, but she got some coaches who absolutely loved the game of softball and loved teaching little girls how to play the game of softball. And so I started going back to softball games. And, and listen, here's where I'm, I'm going with this. I was around it, and she loved it. And because I'm connected to my daughter, because I love her, I started enjoying the game, and eventually I started loving it because of who I'm connected to. How many of you know 
that the people you're connected to really do have influence over your life. How many of you know that? Like, like there are some people, like, like if your phone rings on a Saturday afternoon and you look at it, huh, should I answer this? Because if I answer this, I'm either going to get arrested or I'm going to be singing karaoke with a lampshade on my head by the end of the night. Like they're bad influences, right? And, and I'm not talking to the teenagers. I'm talking to you adults here at Central Church. The main thing, listen to me, main thing I want you to walk out with today is this. The sermon in the sentence, if you will, is this, and I say this all the time, but who or what we're connected to will ultimately determine what we do. This is true. You don't even have to be a Christian, and this is true for you. Who or what we're connected to will ultimately determine what we do. And so today I want to talk to you about connections, because I'll tell you where I'm going with this, and then I'll get into the text. I believe that I... I believe that I'm where I am today because of divine connections that God has placed in my life. People and a place that this church have pulled me out of deeper pits than I ever thought I would be in in the first place. And the same thing that's true for me is true for every single one of you in this room. Who we're connected to or what we're connected to. And a side note, I'm going to be pushing and encouraging you to be connected to a church house. Whether it's this church house or another one, get connected to a church house. Because who or what we're connected to will ultimately determine what we do in life. That's a true statement that I'll prove to you from Scripture today. I'm going to finish up chapter one today. Next week, God willing, I'm going to make it all the way through Ruth chapter two. And so be ready for a long sermon. Um, but next week is Ruth chapter two. The following week, this is my like, per, this is my warning to you right now. It's not even parental guidance warning. It's even bigger than that. Ruth chapter three. Listen, there's some stuff in the Bible that would be considered X-rated. And in Ruth, Ruth chapter three, is like that. And so we have an incredible kids church. Sign up to volunteer. That would be an incredible time for you to go check it out. All right. Like this stuff isn't in kids Bibles, but it's in the main Bible. It's crazy. So anyway, um, last week we started talking about how there's a famine in Bethlehem. And I told you throughout this series that names were going to have meaning. We're going to, we're going to really draw out the meaning in names. And I told you Bethlehem meant what? Anybody remember house of Bread, which we're going to come back to that because it's powerful and symbolic. There's a guy, his name is Elimelech, and his name means God is king, right? His name is God is king, but dude lived his life not like God is king. As a matter of fact, when there was a famine, he left Bethlehem and he went to a foreign land. Anybody remember where he went? He went to the country of Moab. They go to Moab. I told you nothing good happens in Moab. In fact, the Israelites were told to stay away from the Moabites in the Old Testament. They were saying, you don't go to Moab. Don't associate with those people. Stay away from those people. Run from those people. You don't interact. You don't intermix with the Moabites. And you sure as heck don't marry Moabite people. But they left Bethlehem and they started towards Moab. And I told you last week they settled there. And then I told you once you settle in a place that you thought you would never be, you start doing things that you thought you would never do just to blend in, just to fit in, just to be a part of the culture, just to be accepted. And, and in some way, shape, form, or fashion, we've all done that. We've all settled. We've all done things we said we would never do in places we said we would never go. And that's what they do in the text. They settled in Moab. 
Well, Elimelech dies because something always dies when we walk away from where we're supposed to be. That's not in your notes, but that's really good, and you should write that down. Something always dies when we walk away from where we're supposed to be. And so Naomi, after her husband dies, she marries off her two sons, Malon and Kilion, to two Moabite women, which she's not supposed to do, named Orpha and Ruth. Well, then Malon and Kilion die, and so you got Naomi all alone. With Ruth and Orpha, two people she's never suppo- wasn't supposed to be around in the first place. Never supposed to associate with these people. But there she is, stuck. But then we talked about the miracle that she heard that God was providing for his people again in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And she basically tells Orpha and Ruth, get ready girls, get ready because we're stepping out. We're stepping out of the mess, and we're going to start walking towards the blessing. We're stepping out of Moab, back towards Bethlehem. And they start the journey, and they're on their way. And that's where we ended the story last week, and that's where we're going to pick up today, because something real interesting happens in verse 8. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes. May the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye. And they all broke down and wept. You ever seen a bunch of women crying together? Run. I don't see anything. Anyway, no, they said, we want to go with you to your people. Now, on the surface, it looks like they're committed to the journey. More specifically, it looks like they're committed to Naomi. We want to go with you. We love you. You're our mom. Naomi, we want to be with you. We're committed to you. We love 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 you. But watch what happens. But Naomi replied, why? Why should you go on with me? Why? Doesn't this happen a lot of times when we go through tough times and people come up to us? I want to hang out with you. I want to be there for you. I want to encourage you. And we all ask that question. Why? Why, why would you want to hang out with me? Why? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters. Return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter. Everyone say bitter. We're going to come back and talk about that. Far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. This is weird. To me, this is weird. Like, they're walking along. They're on the journey out of Moab into Bethlehem. And somewhere along the journey, I I don't know where. I don't pretend to know where. But at some point, Naomi just goes psycho and tells these two girls, Hey, you don't need to be with me. Go back to Moab. Now, all of us, everyone in this room, at some point in our lives, have had a bad day, right? I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but we've all had a bad day. And we all handle bad days differently. Some people go for a run. Some people go to the gym. Some people shop. Some people watch Netflix. I, I, like, to, I like to sit in the hot tub and just kind of chill and relax. Like, like different people have different ways of handling bad days, but we've all had bad days. But don't miss this. Naomi hadn't had a bad day. She had a bad season. I mean, she walked away from Bethlehem, walked away from the house of God. She lost everything 
She buried her husband, buried both of her sons. She, she's, she's on her way back to Bethlehem, but she is going back. And, like she has lost everything. And what, she, what does she do? She does the same exact thing that we do when we go through a bad season. She pushes people away. You, you see it? You see it there in the text? She's pushing her people away. You do it, and, and I do it. When we're going through a bad season, I just want to be by myself. Just leave me alone. I want to be by myself. I'll be all right. I can take care of this. I, I can handle this. And we push people away. And you've heard me say this probably a million times, but it's worth repeating right here again. Solitude is refreshing. Getting alone, being by yourself, spending some time alone, man, that could be a really good thing. But isolation is destructive. Because see, when the enemy can isolate you, he starts jacking with your mind. And he starts putting thoughts in your mind. Thoughts like, hey, you know what? This world would be a whole lot better place without you. And then it's a downward spiral from there. And I get it. Listen to me. I get it. Trying to push people away. We push people away. Here's why we do it. We think, well, they're going to leave me anyway. They're going to abandon me anyway. Might as well get the process started. Get them out of my life. And there are people in this room right now or watching online, you are working so hard to push people away from you, that God's people that God has actually brought to you to walk with you, you're working hard to push them away from you. But, but, but I get it. I do. I, I, I know what it's like to push people away because you feel guilt for what you've done. You feel shame for what you've done. And in your mind, nobody wants to be associated with you because of what you've done. Trust me, I get this as much as anybody in this room. It's a defense mechanism because we think if I push them away, I can't hurt them and they can't hurt me. It's pushing them away. But they're like, "Uh uh-uh, we're in this. They both told Naomi, hey girl, we're your ride or die. That's probably not how the original Hebrew intended it, but that's what I see. And then watch this, verse 14. This, this is crazy. And again, they wept together, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. See what happened? Orpha's like, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm right there, Mom. I love you. I love you. I love you. And Naomi says, you can go back to Moab. And she's like, see ya. I'm out. You ever wanted to get out of something? But you needed that little extra push. Like you needed permission to get out of something. I remember a long time ago, um, I had to go to this meeting. It was going to be long. It was going to be harsh. It was going to be brutal. It was going to be bad. I wanted out. So, but I didn't have a valid excuse. You know what I'm talking about? You get out of something. And I dreaded it all day. And all day long, I prayed, Lord, let something happen. Like, I don't know. I'll start weaving in out of traffic. Maybe I'll get hit or whatever. I don't know. I need to get out of this thing. But all day long, can't, like, there's, there's no good excuse to get out of it. And so about 10 minutes before the meeting started, the school called and told me Chloe had gotten sick, and I needed to come pick her up. I was like, Jesus is real. <laughs> this is awesome. God always take care of me like I'm his favorite. And um, so I went to my boss, and I'm like, hey, Chloe was sick. He said, you can go. Well, then I did what most of us probably do, and like, oh, you know, I know you really need me here for this, and I know I need to be a part of it, and I know it's like super important, and, and all the time I'm like, no, it's not. I'm like, I can probably call Mary, and Mary can go. And he's like, no. Just go ahead and go. Like sometimes we need that push. Sometimes we need permission to do something that we don't really want to do. That's what's happening in this story. Orpah's going along, 
but she's not committed to the journey. See, they're all standing at a crossroads. And, and Orpha and Ruth are presented with a way out. Like, hey, if you go this way, you go to Bethlehem. Now in Bethlehem, there are blessings beyond your wildest imagination. But it's a walk. It's a journey. In fact, if you look at, at this like geographically, it's mostly an uphill walk. It's not an easy journey. And if you're Orpha and Ruth, you don't know anything about Bethlehem. If you're Orpha and Ruth, there's uncertainty in Bethlehem. But Moab, whoo, you know Moab. You grew up in Moab. Moab is comfortable. Your people are in Moab. You know where all the cool spots are. You know where all the party places are. I mean, Moab is familiar. And so Orpha chooses to step back into what is comfortable and foregoes the supernatural. She chooses Moab over Bethlehem. To put this in more relevant terms, she chooses messiness over a blessing. And there are people here today, you're at a crossroads. You can go to Moab or you can keep journeying towards Bethlehem. And I will tell you, it all depends upon who or what you're connected to. See, Orpha said she was committed, but when it came down to it, she walked away. She walked away. And I'm sure it hurt. I'm sure it deeply hurt Naomi and Ruth. And there are people in this room right now, people watching online, you're carrying hurt over people who walked away from you. People who said they would never walk away. Hey, newsflash, if they can walk away, let them. Let them walk away. Now, don't get mad at me for saying that. Every time I say that, I get an email or a Facebook message or somebody comes up to me and they're really upset. You don't, listen, here's what I mean by this. Some people come into our life for a season. It's, it's a great season, right? There was connection there. It was, it was awesome. But if they can walk away from you, let them walk. And here's why. Don't, don't miss this. If Naomi and Ruth chase Orpha back to Moab, they never make it to Bethlehem to receive the blessing of God. And some people in this room, you're going to give up Bethlehem because you're chasing someone or something back to Moab. Listen, if they can walk, let them walk. Like, I, I, people leave for different reasons. So, some people leave peacefully. Some people leave because they're mad. Right? Some people leave because they just can't stand us anymore. Like, everybody in this room has a hater. Everybody. You might be like, not me, pastor. Everybody loves me. No, they don't. They, they, they just don't. All of us have haters. Now, some of us have been haters before. I, I've hated on people. I won't ask you to raise your hand because you have too. Everybody in this room, everyone has had a hater. And it doesn't feel good, does it? It doesn't feel good. And you want to attack back. But let me ask you this question. Let's think about it like this. Let's say hypothetically. Now, hypothetically means this is not going to happen. All right, this is a pretend story. So you've got to just play along, okay? Let's say hypothetically, when you left today, we gave you $86,400 in cash. Again, we're not going to do that. Yeah, you can woo. How many of you would like that? How many would like that? <laughs> Start giving. Um, <laughs> see? 
Amen. That's right. Amen. So let's say, let's say you got $86,400 in cash. All right. So you're walking out and, and you've never had $86,400 in cash before. So you really don't know how to handle it. You're, you're not real responsible with stuff anyway. And so let's say you just take your $86,400 and you put it down in the foyer because you have to go to the bathroom or whatever. You come back out and somebody stole $10 from you. $10. They took $10. So now you've got how much? Ooh, you guys are good, right? The last service is people pulling out their calculators and stuff, trying to figure that out. $86,390. How many of you would be worried about the $10? How many? I wouldn't be worried about it. I'd be like, you know what? If they needed it that bad, they need to steal it from the, the foyer of the church. They can have it. In fact, here's $10 more. Matter of fact, I just make it rain. Like, here you go. Have as much as you want. Now, how many of you would be so upset over the $10 that you would seek out the person that stole the money and demand for them to give it back to you. And if they didn't get it back to you, you would tell them, I'm going to sue you. And you went and you hired a lawyer that was going to cost you $1,000 to get the $10 back. How many would do that? Nobody. Because that's dumb, right? If they need $10, let them have the $10. Because at the end of the day, you still got $86,390. You're like, what in the world does this have to do with people hating on me, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. We have 86,400 seconds in a day. It takes somebody about 10 seconds to tear you down and insult you. Why would you spend 1,000 seconds trying to get those 10 seconds back? See, you can get money back. That ain't no big deal. But time, you'll never get back. And if someone's going to hate on you, you got to let them hate. You just got to let them go. You just do. And, and I know what you're thinking. You don't know what they said about me. <laughs> I know a little bit of something about this stuff. <laughs> I really do. You're going to be all right. You're going to be just fine. If I can be all right, if I can be just fine, you can be just fine. So Orpha, she walks out. Just gone. And I'm sure they're hurt and upset. But what happened to Orpha? Anybody know? Anybody know what happens to Orpha? Who knows? Nobody. Nobody. Because she's never mentioned again. Because she walked out. At the crossroads, she chose Moab over Bethlehem. Now this next part is great. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi, holding on to her, not going to let her go. Verse 15, look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. Everybody else is leaving. Why don't you just leave too? Eventually you're going to leave me. Just, you might as well just go. We, we've all been in this place. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Watch, this is so awesome. I love this. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Anybody heard this stuff before? Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. This is good. First time I ever heard that out loud was in a wedding. And maybe you had this read in your wedding. Those words are beautiful to use as vows. I've had people use them as vows in weddings that I've done. But I remember realizing, you know what? That's not a husband and wife saying that to each other. I'm not making fun of your wedding. Your vows are legit. If you said that, it's, it's great. It's good. But this isn't between a husband and a wife. This was a girl saying this to her mother-in-law. Now, just a quick question. If you're going to call your mother-in-law this afternoon, is this what you would say to her? 
no. And if your mother-in-law is sitting with you right now, I know it's awkward, but Ruth basically tells her mother-in-law, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not leaving you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. I am with you. The only thing that can separate this connection is death. And, and think about this. She had an easy way out. Go back to Moab. Go back to what's safe. Go back to what's familiar. Go back to your people. Go, go back to what's comfortable. Or walk towards Bethlehem, not knowing what's going to happen. Just know that God is working there. And Ruth says, you know what? I would rather have an uncertainty with a God working in Bethlehem than the certainty of no God in Moab. So they're walking along to Bethlehem, and then we see this verse 18. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Now, here's what's crazy, and we're going to see this in the weeks to come. Naomi and Ruth step in the blessings they would have never, ever, ever imagined for themselves. But Naomi doesn't make it to Bethlehem without Ruth, and Ruth doesn't make it to Bethlehem without Naomi. There's this divine connection there. This is a God thing. This is so powerful. And this is something that all of us need in our lives. L- l- listen, we, we all have people, we all need people in our lives. And, and, and let, me, let me say this, don't stress out and don't worry about the people you lost. You need to thank God for the people you have in your life. Because I'm here to tell you, if it wasn't for divine connections, for just a handful of people who have gathered around me when I was at my lowest and said, you know what, Ryan, I don't care what you did. I don't care what's true. I don't care what's not true. I'm with you no matter what. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't even be alive today if it were not for divine connections. When you get a divine connection, when you get a friendship like this, it is a gift from God. And and, and when you have those people in your life, when you're going through hell, you don't push them away. You tell them what you're going through because nothing you could say to them could make them go back to Moab. They're committed to you. And when you have people committed to you, come hell or high water, that's a gift from God. Amen? Think about it. What kept Ruth committed to Naomi? What was it? Was it money? No, it wasn't money. She was broke. It wasn't like, hey, girl, when we get to Bethlehem, I know some people, and they'll pay you. It wasn't the promise of happiness. It was this supernatural thing that was going on between them. Naomi and Ruth connected to each other. Well, there's another powerful connection taking place in this story. It's just as awesome. Verse 19. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem. Now Bethlehem means what? House of bread. Jesus said in John 6, I am the bread of life. And so right here, basically you have the house of Jesus. Which today we would call the what? The church. I love when the Bible just becomes the Bible. It's just awesome to me. So basically, they came back to church. Now Naomi... She hadn't been to church in a long time. And Ruth was a Moabite. And so church was never, ever a thing for her. And then look at this. The entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? Is she in church? Oh my gosh, Naomi. Naomi's back. It's so awesome. You ever, you ever been like that? You ever see somebody walk into church you're like, oh my gosh. What are they doing here? And don't answer that out loud. Anyway, that's what's happening right here. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. Again, names are important here. Naomi means sweetheart. Mara means bitter. Bitter. Don't call me sweetheart. Call me bitter. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. Now let me ask you this question. Does she have a reason to be bitter, yes or no? Say yes. 
Yes. What she had gone through, losing her husband, losing her two sons, losing everything. I mean, yeah, there's no wonder she's bitter. But I love this. She walks back into the house of bread and she's honest and up front. Naomi, it's so good to see you. How you doing, Naomi? Bitter. Oh, wasn't expecting that. See, this goes against normal church culture where you're taught to put on a mask and pretend everything's fine, even when all hell is breaking loose. So I love this because she just walks in and tells the truth. Now, I'm super glad that Tammy Truth Teller wasn't there. You know who Tammy Truth Teller is? You got to tell the truth. Tell the truth. Get them, Pastor. Tell them. Tell them the truth. Tell them how much they messed up their lives. Tell them. Tell them. Tell them. Listen, listen, listen. I'm all about telling the truth. But there's a time to tell the truth, and there's a time to keep your flipping mouth shut. And Tammy Truth Teller would say, okay, Naomi, has the Lord really made your life better? Or did you do that to yourself? How many of you know church people can be mean? How many of you know that? If you don't have your hand up, cool. It's another message for another time. I'm going to do an entire series on mean church people later this year. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. Anyway, Tammy Truth Teller would have said, the Lord didn't make your life better. You did that to yourself. You walked away. You got what you deserved. But Naomi, Naomi feels this freedom in the house of bread to just be real, which that's the kind of connection we need to have. That's the kind of house we need to be connected to, a place where you can walk in and just be real. Hey, how'd your week go? It flipping sucked. Okay, cool. We're here for you. We love you. It's okay to not be okay. It's all right. Because watch this, verse 21. She says this, I went away full. Come on, Naomi. Did you really go away full or did you go away because there was a famine? And, and, and there's some truth in that, right? See, sometimes we look back on the past and we think it was better than it really was. She didn't leave full. She left because there was a famine. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer? Hold on, Naomi. Did the Lord cause you to suffer or did you bring it out on yourself? I mean, did you go back to Moab, Naomi? Like, did you know you weren't supposed to go there? Did your sons marry Moabite women, Naomi? I mean, I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to ask this right here. The woman you brought with you, is she one of those people? Is she a Moabite? You brought one of those people to church? The Almighty has sent such a tragedy upon me. Naomi, did the Lord bring tragedy on you or did you do that to yourself? You're reaping what you sow, girl. Tammy Truth Teller. You ever met those people? Got to tell the truth. Listen, again, I'm all about telling the truth. I'm all about speaking the truth. But there's a time to speak the truth and there's a time to shut up. Because when somebody gets to this level of confession and they're just pouring out their heart and soul, shut up up and listen. I've had to learn this the hard way, that when somebody is stepping out of Moab towards Bethlehem, you just need to listen. Now, this next part, this is where it gets crazy, and this is where it's probably going to connect with a lot of people. She said, I walked back in here today empty, and there are people in this room, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you're in this room today, and you're empty. And I'm not going to point my finger at you. I'm here to tell you I understand what it's like to walk into church empty. And I'm the pastor. 
Listen to me. There have been Sundays where I've been so empty that I have had to pray for the strength and the courage to get up on this stage and preach because I was so empty. Listen, there's a difference between being tired and empty. Like today, I'm tired. If you're tired, you could take a nap. Matter of fact, during worship and second service, I was on the couch in my office. I took a little nap. There's a little confession. That's, that's what I did. But if you're empty, if you're empty, you got to be filled up. And it takes time to get filled back up. And don't miss this. You and I getting filled back up is all dependent upon who or what we're connected to. The right people in the right house. I'm telling you from personal experience, the right people in the right house have kept this guy full. And if God can do it for me, he can do it for you. Naomi, she just confessed. I'm, I'm empty. And if you're here today and you feel empty, listen, I don't care why. I don't care if you walked away from Bethlehem and you went to Moab. I don't care if you did some things you don't want nobody to know about. The fact that you walked in, into this place means that God is doing something in your life. I'm glad you're here even if you're empty. You know what? Confessing that you're empty is the beginning of God beginning to fill you back up. Because listen, you can't get things right until you're willing to admit there's something wrong in your life. You, you can't get help until you're willing to admit, I need help. That's a step. That's a huge step. For some of you, that's the next step. You can't get things right until you're willing to admit that something is wrong in your life. She admits it. So I'm empty. And I love what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. See, we get that backwards in the church. We think if somebody's happy, it's because there's sin in their lives. How you doing? I'm good. Yeah, you wouldn't be good if all that sin came out. God bring all that sin to life. You ain't going to be good then. And then if somebody's weeping, we try to make them happy. Don't cry. Don't cry. Everything's going to be okay. Listen. I want this to be a house that when you're happy, we're going to celebrate with you. And when you're sad, we're going to weep with you. Yes, there's a time to speak the truth into somebody's life and finally share with them, hey, in order to get better, you need to step out of Moab and you need to start walking towards Bethlehem. But when somebody gets this raw and this real and this honest, it's the beginning of God. Listen, 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 don't, don't miss this. It's the beginning of God not changing their circumstances, but changing their perspectives. And, and that's a miracle. For me, when I went through where I felt like I lost everything and I was at rock bottom, I had to come to this realization. They can't take Jesus from me. I, I can lose it all, but my soul, there are still things well right here within my soul. Not because of who I am, but they're well because of who Jesus is. It is well in my soul. And that's where Naomi's at. Like it, everything's breaking apart, but, but it's, it's okay. Because she says this, it says this in verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite. Moabite. Mo, she keeps getting identified like this. We're going to talk about that next week. Moabite. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. The barley harvest. Where Ruth is going to meet Boaz. They're going to get married. They're going to have a baby that eventually would lead to the lineage of Jesus. Simply because Naomi was willing to walk into a house with a woman completely unchurched and be honest and real and say, I'm empty. And in Ruth chapter 2, 3, and 4, we see both of them step out of Moab, the mess of Moab, into the blessing of Bethlehem. I believe that everything in this passage shifted when she came out and told everybody how she really felt. 
And I believe that, again, that God didn't change the circumstances. He changed her perspective. And that's the miracle. Even though it may not be well in my life, it's well in my soul. She said, even though I can't celebrate everything happening around me, I can celebrate what Jesus is doing in me. And so can you. And so can I. But we got to make the choice. Moab or Bethlehem. Let's pray. Father, right now, I just, we just worship you for your goodness, your greatness, your awesomeness. God, you are just, you're fantastic in our lives. But God, I want to take a second and just pray for everybody in this room that feels empty, for everybody that feels abandoned or alone. God, I pray for divine connections in our lives. And I pray, God, that you would continue to bring people around us, God, that we can just, that we can do life with, that we can walk together with. God, I pray over the next several moments as we sing a song together, as we worship you, that we might be reminded, even though things may be crazy around us, they're well inside of us. Heads bowed and eyes closed right now. I don't know who this message spoke to, but maybe you're here and and listen, you're tired, you're empty. And I pray today that God will give you a glimpse of hope. And maybe you, maybe you feel that way, maybe right now, maybe you just need to say, like, out to yourself. Now, you don't have to say it out loud. I'm not going to make you raise your hand or come forward or do anything like that. But maybe you just need to say, Jesus, I'm empty. Maybe you need to start towards that confession. I'm empty, and I need you to begin to fill my cup today. See, the one thing I know about Jesus that's absolutely awesome is he meets us right where we are. And Jesus wants us to be filled more than we will ever want to be filled. And so maybe your prayer today, maybe your prayer this week is just, Jesus, I need to be filled. Jesus, I want you to start that process in my life today. If you need to talk with somebody about what God spoke to your heart, as always, there'll be people in the back corners of the sanctuary during this song. And I invite you to feel the freedom to go back there and talk with them. Let them pray with you or for you. Maybe you're here today and you've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ into your life. And you know you need to ask Jesus to come into your life today. If that's you, I, I want to invite you to pray this prayer. Just, just right where you sit. You can just, just pray it under your breath. Pray it in your heart. Just say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And today I ask you to forgive me my sin. Today I ask you to save me. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. And I believe you rose from the grave. And I know you did that for me, to save me, to save me from this world, to save me from myself, to save me for all eternity. So Jesus, today I surrender everything to you, all of me for all of you. Come into my life, be my Lord, be my God, be my King be my savior thank you for saving me heads bowed and eyes still closed if you prayed that prayer if you asked Jesus to come into your life we would love to celebrate with you so again talk to somebody in the back corners of the sanctuary during this song go out to the welcome desk and and let somebody there know because we want to help you in your next steps being a Christian doesn't just stop with saying a prayer it's it's a it's a life journey And you need to be connected to people that will go on that journey with you. So let us do that. 
Father, I thank you for every single person in this room that walked into this place empty. God, that we would know that we can begin the process of being filled back up. And just like Ruth and just like Naomi, one day, even though we're empty now, we're walking towards blessing. We're walking towards celebration. We're walking towards immeasurably more because, God, that's what you do. That's who you are. And you have greater plans for us than we have for us. And so, God, may we continually turn our back on Moab and walk towards the blessing of Bethlehem, knowing that you're always with us. You'll never leave us. You'll never abandon us. And in you, Jesus, the best really is yet to come. God, I ask you to move in this place in ways only you can over the next several minutes in the hearts of your people, the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.